All right. I want to uh, begin this morning uh, by, by just saying yesterday, for those of you who had a chance to come out and see uh, what happened, I didn't have a chance. Hopefully by next week, I'm going to have some pictures available, but this place did not even look remotely like this yesterday at all, did it? All these pews were completely removed and out of here, and we had, uh, I don't know, I, I haven't got the numbers back from Jessica yet. I'm hoping that she'll have them this week, but I don't know. What do you think, guys? A thousand? 500 families? Okay. There was a lot of people that came through here yesterday. I know at 730, which was about 30 minutes before it was time to open, we had a line of people that was from here all the way out to the parking lot that was waiting to get in. So, um, but we had a lot of great, great times yesterday. We had a lot of great spiritual conversations, um, gave out a lot of Bibles to people that wanted Bibles. And uh, so it was really good. So for those of you who volunteered and were a part of that, um, I want to thank you. Uh, I think yesterday was really, really good. So um, we're not going to be having a discipleship meeting today. We're going to start that back up this week. Um, I appreciate everybody for praying for my family this week. Uh, Tiffany is much better. Uh, she had COVID, uh, had symptoms starting last Friday, and we went through the quarantine period. Nobody else got it, thank goodness. But uh, this was Tiffany's uh, sixth time, sixth time to deal with COVID. So uh, She's built up quite an immunity, I'm, I'm assuming. <clears throat> All right. James is going to lead us in a prayer here in just a moment. Um, for those of you who are watching online, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. And uh, what do we need to be praying about this morning? The lost and the hurting. The lost. Amen. Thank you, James. Thank you very much. Um, I'll have the microphone available for anybody who wants to, to answer any questions or anything later on. And if you would, just kind of help me pass it around for the sake of those who are watching online. So we are in the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And I'm going to ask you to go ahead and take out your Bible, start flipping your pages over to Daniel, chapter 7. And uh, before we get into what we're going to be talking about this morning, I want to just talk for a moment about the nature of Bible prophecy. And uh, sometimes I like to begin with a question. I'm just going to ask this question. I kind of want to see how you, what you guys think about this. Um, when you read through the Bible, there's many prophecies that are in the Bible. Uh, in fact, if you were to, to take all the prophecies, whether you're talking about prophecies about the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, prophecies about the, the future of Israel, the future of the nations, Bible prophecy makes up one-third of the Bible. So it makes sense then that if, if you are going to be a serious student of God's word, at some point you have to study Bible prophecy. And there's a lot of people today. There's a lot of preachers today uh, over the years. You know, I've, I have two hobby interests in the Bible, if you will, over the years. Two, I, I study the Bible all the time, but you know how there's certain topics you just love to really dig into more? Well, one of those is, is Bible history and archaeology. I love Bible history and archaeology and apologetics. Uh, one of the first papers I ever wrote was in high school called Creation versus Evolution. I did that as a senior in high school. Um, so was, I love that type of stuff. But the other study is Bible prophecy. And there was a lot of my colleagues, especially, especially when I was in college, that didn't share the same love and zeal that I had for Bible prophecy. But I just, I've, I've always loved it. Because Bible prophecy is God giving us insight into the future, right? He's showing us the end from the beginning. Now, here's the question that I have for this morning. Why do you think God does that? Why do you think he reveals things about the future and tells those things 
to his people. Here's the, here you go, Sandy. <clears throat> Thank you. I think partly because he loves us so deeply <clears throat> and his desire is that none perish but all come to the saving knowledge of his son. Okay. And yeah, eventually this world, you know, it's, we don't know what the next realm or the next creation or however the new world, new Jerusalem and all that is, but things, there will be huge changes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he can use all of the supernatural and the natural things all mixed up together throughout all time and all space and all ages and all people. Mm -hmm. His desire is to work for good for everyone. And so I think the more we dig into prophecy, when we see how big is God. And when we look back through our own lives, something weird happens, you know, and you look way back in your life and just the connections, how you happen to meet a certain person or they happen to give you a word or a Bible verse mm -hmm. or something. And just a small thing might change your entire direction in your life. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, I just... I think he wants us to see how extremely immense he is and how much he loves us and how far he goes to show very us good, that. Very good, very good. Okay, anybody else want to add to that? Rick, looks like you got a thought. Why does God give us prophecy? Okay, it's much larger than this, but the two things that really stand out to me are consequences, good and bad. You get good consequences if you follow God. You get bad consequences if you don't follow God. And right. He's showing you that. And the other thing is the veracity of his promises. I mean, he never says anything in the past that he's not going to fulfill in the future. And so he just kind of keeps dropping those breadcrumbs to let you know, I am a promise keeper. That's it. Great hell should I. I like that. Anybody else? Johnny, you have a thought? i got a thought over here, too. No? Okay, up here. Thank you, Rick. No, thank you. I also love Bible prophecy, and what it's done for me over my walk is to help me affirm and build faith. Yeah. Because to see that, I mean, God does know the end from the beginning. That's right. And he shows it to us. He shows us so that we can marvel at him and... I think he also helps us to find peace because we know when the world gets chaotic, we know when Satan's trying to do his thing, mm -hmm. that God's will is going to be and is going to prevail. And so we can have faith in that and in his promises. And so we don't have to worry about anything but today. That's it. That's it. That's, that's, that's one of the main things that I wanted to see if we could tease out on this is because let's say, let's say that God gives you a, um, a vision or a dream. You, you go to sleep and, and God gives you a dream or a vision and, and you have a, a picture that God gives you. I'm just, this is hypothetical, okay? And, and he gives you a revelation of your future ministry. Okay? And you see yourself, let's say you see yourself at the age of 80, as a, you're ready to pass from this life to the next. And, and you, you, see, you see the picture, good and well done, faithful servant, right? So you know it's done. 
God has revealed it to you. You know what's going to happen. You see yourself as an, as an older person. And, and, and let's say you're in your 40s, your 50s, or whatever. Now, if God gives you that revelation and you know that when God speaks, does he always keep his promises, yes or no? Right? Whenever God speaks, you can hang your hat on that. You can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. So if that were to happen, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Well, if God has given you a prophetic word about the future, what can you, what can you believe about that prophetic word? It's going to happen. No matter what happens between now and then, no matter what circumstance comes up between now and then, you can take it to the bank that it is going to come to fruition. So what does that do to your faith? It builds your faith, doesn't it? And it helps you to live a little differently, right? Maybe a, a little bit more carefree when it comes to, to this world and the sin and things around it, right? Because you know that God's got you. I think that's part of what Bible prophecy serves. When you look at the life of Jesus Christ, I mean, think about why, one of the reasons why the original disciples were so excited because there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled literally to the T about Jesus Christ. So if the first 300 and some odd prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ were fulfilled literally, then don't you think that the other few hundred prophecies about the second coming of Christ are also going to be fulfilled literally? I mean, it seems to be a, a good reasonable guess. And if that's the case, then the things that you and I are reading about right now can take to the bank. And we can order our lives in such a way so that we prepare ourselves for the things that are written inside of here, Right? Okay, so we are looking at Daniel chapter 7, and we're looking at this, uh, this series of images that he's been given. This corresponds to Daniel chapter 2 with this image. I feel like I've labored this several times. I'm not going to get into it in depth again, but there are four images, four beasts that God gives Daniel in the book of Daniel chapter 7. And these four images lay out again in successive order all the future world empires that will rule on the earth until the second coming of Christ. For those of you who might not remember, how do we know that it leads up until the second coming of Christ? If you remember in Daniel's image, in Daniel's image, when does the stone come down and destroy the image? At the ten toes part of the image, right? So we know that there is a world power of some type. We don't know. It's very fuzzy. But there's a world power that happens again at the end. And it's during that time. In fact, Daniel 2 specifically says, during the reign of those kings... Will the God of heaven set up a kingdom that will, never, that will be everlasting? Okay? So let's look at the images really quick. The first one is a lion. And it had uh, this. I'm in Daniel 7, verse 4. I'm just going to go through them really quick and get back to where we were last Sunday uh, with the terrible beast and the ten, the ten horns. The first was like a lion. It had wings of an eagle. And I watched as, it, as its wings were torn off. And it was lifted up from the ground. <clears throat> so it stood on two feet like a human being. And a mind was given unto it. That's who? We already... Talked about this one. That's Babylon. Okay, talking about Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, very literally, um, very ful fulfilled literally, excuse me. The second beast, a bear, he says it was raised up on one of its sides. Remember Medo-Persia, one side was bigger than the other militarily, okay? Um, it had three ribs in its mouth. Remember it defeated three nations before it became a ruler of world power, okay? So it's following the image. And he says, get up and fill, get your fill of the flesh. That's the second one, a bear. So the first one's Babylon. The second image is Medo-Persia. Third image, a leopard. 
He says, I looked in verse 6, and before me was another beast, and one that looked like a leopard. On its back it had four wings, like that of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. This is a very important point. If you make notes, I want you to write this down because it's very important. The leopard and the wings both speak of swiftness, right? We already, we already said this is referring to who? Alexander the Great. This is the Grecian Empire. A leopard is fast. He was fast. Wings make you go swiftly. He was swift. But we also said that these four wings, these four heads that are on this image tell you that there is a latter extension of that kingdom. After Alexander the, the Great died, his territory, his kingdom was divided into four territories. So what I'm, what I'm trying to, to convey is that the four heads are those four territories. The four wings are those four territories. Does that make sense? Okay, so whenever you see stuff like this, horns and heads and wings that are coming out of this creature, it is a latter extension of that same entity, of that same empire. So the leopard represents Greece. And then you come to the fourth one, and this is where we wound up last week. And he says, I looked, this is verse 7, and there before me there was this, this terrible, terrifying, frightening, very powerful, he couldn't even put an animal to it, it was so terrible. And it had large iron teeth It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled under its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the other former beasts, and it had ten horns. So what is this final beast? We talked about it last Sunday. It's Rome. And Rome, when it, when it comes to its end, is not defeated. It actually breaks apart into several different nations. Those several different nations over the course of the last 2,000 years have been like those feet. They have trampled every other place, either in what was the old um, East Western Roman Empire or the old Eastern um, Caliphate or Muslim Empire. Okay, Those two feet have, have stamped the rest of those territories. And there are mixed peoples in both groups, right? There are parts of the old Roman Empire that exist in Europe that are very strong. And there's other nations in Europe that were not a part of the original Roman Empire, and they're very weak. Same on both sides. So you see the image all the way up until the very end. But... There are ten toes. So we already know from the previous imagery what are these ten toes. It is a latter extension. A latter extension. A full extension of, of the latter part of the reign of this kingdom. Okay? Now, this brings us back up to where we left off last week. And Daniel is very, very interested in these horns. He sees these ten horns. And I want you to watch this because as we continue this prophecy, there's another horn that comes up. Now, what is this telling you? If the ten are a final latter days extension of the Roman Empire of some kind, again, very fuzzy, we don't know the clear picture. He says there's an eleventh horn that comes up among the ten. What is that telling you? Somebody else. So you have a ten that forms. And then there's one more that forms after the ten. And he's the last one. Now, there is only one other place in the Bible where you see a one horn that comes up and takes over the rest. And that is Antiochus Epiphanes. Let me back up for just a moment. In the imagery of the leopard, there were four heads and there were four wings, right? And if you remember, I told you, Alexander the Great's empire, when it came to an end, it was divided up among its four generals. One of those four generals was a part of what became the Seleucid Empire. Okay? The Seleucid Empire. 
one ruler arose during the Seleucid Empire. This was around 300, 400 BC, I believe. If somebody wants to check my dates on that. But his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. If you want to get a good idea of what Antiochus Epiphanes was like, imagine Adolf Hitler in the ancient Near East. He wanted to destroy the Jews. Let me tell you what he did. He decided that he was going to launch a campaign to try to destroy the Jews. He wanted to kill every single Jew that there was. And he, um, was it, Sandy, was it day of Pentecost? No, was it, was it the 9th of Av? Or I can't remember what it, what it was. It was a significant date. He goes into Jerusalem. He goes into Jerusalem and he takes a pig and he slaughters a pig on the altar in Jerusalem at the temple. Now, how did Jews feel about pigs? Okay, so this was a huge affront, right? So he puts an end to the sacrifice for three and a half years. This is all talked about as a type, as an image, a prophetic type of a person that is going to come at the last days, at the very end of the age, who will fulfill a role that will be similar to Antiochus Epiphanes. Does that make sense? I I could say it like this. This would be a little bit more colloquial. Um, let's say Adolf Hitler was a picture, a type of the final ruler that will come, the little horn. Does that make sense? In other words, the little horn of Antiochus Epiphanes is the type for an anti-type that will come at the end of those ten toes, at the end of those ten horns. The Bible says that there will be ten toes or ten horns, ten final nations that will be like a resurrection of Rome in some way, shape, or form. I can't tell you what that looks like because it hasn't happened yet. See, it's foggy. But out of that will come one. And the Bible says he will defeat three others. In other words, there'll be three nations that's not going to go along with the plan. But but when they rise up, he will defeat them and he will become the supreme ruler. Okay? Now, you say, Tim, man, this is weird stuff. I've never heard of this before. Let me tell you my biases. My biases? Biases. What's the right word? My bias. That's probably better. Let me tell you my bias. Okay? Um, in the churches of Christ, historically speaking, we are a group of people that are theologically amillennial. Okay? What does that mean? That means that we have a theology that typically states that um, the book of Revelation was most likely fulfilled somewhere along the way over the last 2,000 years. And really, we don't really get into the details of prophecy, the details of the book of Revelation. We're content to say, hey, listen, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And I'm not really going to care about anything else other than that, okay? At least that's the way it was taught to me growing up. Amillennial means no millennium. It means you don't believe in a literal millennium. The Bible talks about how there's going to be a thousand years on the earth. But if you're amillennial, you don't believe that. You believe that prophecy is spiritual, Right? You spiritualize it. It doesn't literally mean this. It means spiritually speaking this. I taught that and I believed that for many, many years. And then I went through a season where I was exposed to Bible prophecy teachers. And for a season, I became what was known as premillennial. What is premillennial? Premillennial says there is a millennium. It's literal. And there's probably a rapture that's going to take place before it. Now, that's a very fundamentalist Christian theology for for the last days that's believed by churches all over this town all over this town then my change my thinking changed again when i started studying hebrew because when i started really looking at the old testament i realized that all bible prophecy is rooted in the nation of israel 
every bit of it. And if you don't understand the nation of Israel, the history of the nation of Israel, and the future destiny of the nation of Israel, you cannot understand Bible prophecy. You simply can't. The second thing that, that really affected me as I was studying Bible prophecy is that so much of what we were reading, especially with the book of Revelation, was not understood because it wasn't rooted in the Old Testament. We divorced Revelation from its roots, but we shouldn't do that. Why? Because there's over 900 citations in the book of Revelation going back to the Old Testament. And the more I studied, the more I realized that the pictures and the images that Revelation was using was used in the Old Testament. And if you were just a diligent student and went back to the Old Testament and uncovered the meaning of those pictures and images, guess what? You started to understand something. And then here was the final thing that really changed things for me. I love prophecy so much because the first coming of Christ saw 300 prophecies, over 300 prophecies fulfilled literally. And yet my seminary professors were telling me that the rest of the prophecies about the second coming of Christ should not be read literally, should be read figuratively. That makes no sense to me. (laughs) Made no sense to me. So I started reading prophecy a little bit different. Let me tell you where I fall theologically speaking so I can tell you my bias. I have a Hebraic understanding of the last days. Okay, I'm not premillennial. I don't have a very firm picture of any type of idea of a rapture. I don't, I don't see a rapture idea in Scripture. But I do see that in the last days, there will be a revival of some sort of the Roman Empire. It probably won't be called Rome, but it'll be something... And there is a figure, a person. Now, there's a lot of people today that call him Antichrist. He's only called Antichrist one time in the book of John, in the the writings of John. Paul calls this man the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's the man of sin that's talked about in the book of Daniel. There is a ruler coming, and Daniel tells you what he's like, and he's about to tell you a lot of details about this person because he's so interested. Why? Because he's going to rise at a time in history where God is going to allow Satan to have his way with God's people. You say, well, that doesn't fit much theology that I believe in today. Listen, let me tell you something. God is going to allow his people to be sifted, be purified in the last days. We have been called, you want to, you want to hey, Rick, you want to hear a message that will get you kicked out of a church real fast? We have been called to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. We have been given the privilege to suffer and be persecuted and killed and burned and, and chased away and have everything taken away from us so that we can bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good message? It really is. You don't like that? Okay, we'll, we'll skip those for now. All right. However, yeah, we're told he who endures to the end. That's right. Endures, I don't really like that word. Yeah, endure. I really wish I had two hours because we're only, I feel like I was just getting warmed up. You know what I'm saying? Okay, let's look at verse 8. Daniel 7, verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among the ten, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. These are nations, right? Each horn is a nation. So three nations apparently don't go along with the little horn's plan. So the little horn, the eleventh horn, defeats these three. It comes to power. Okay? Now listen, this horn had eyes. Okay? It's intelligent. 
like the eyes of a human being. And a mouth that spoke boastfully. It tells you it's a human. It's a person. Okay? They have a big mouth. In fact, that's one of the, the things that's said about this person many, many times in Scripture over and over again. Revelation chapter 11, verse 36. Revelation 13, verse 5, verse 6. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, over and over again, all throughout Scripture, whenever the Bible talks about this final last day's ruler, it says he has an arrogant, boastful mouth. He's cocky. He's full of himself. How full of himself is he? So full of himself that 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells you that when he rises to power, he will literally sit in the temple of God and proclaim himself to be God. That's pretty boastful. Pretty boastful. All right. Now, Daniel chapter 11 and 12, we're going to get more into in depth of of who this person really is. Now, turn to Revelation chapter 12 with me really quick. Revelation chapter 12. I want to show you why this is so significant. I think I may have it up here. Let me see. No, I don't. Okay. Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. There it is again. Book of Revelation. John is seeing the same thing that Daniel saw, except where's John? He's seeing it at the very end of the age, right? God is focusing like a laser in on that final world kingdom. He says, verse 4, Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. I'm not going to get into all of that right now and unravel all of that. That's a study in the book of Revelation. But the point is, Daniel sees how many horns? Ten horns. Same thing that Daniel sees and that John sees. So in Revelation 12, you see a great red dragon up in heaven. Who's that? Satan. If you follow the image, it's Satan. And what happens? He gets thrown to the earth. Satan is thrown to the earth. He's given access to the earth directly. And then what happens? He rises up out of the sea, just like all the others. In other words, what John is telling you is that this final iteration, this final extension, this final world ruler, world power that God will allow to sift the saints will be directly influenced by none other than who? Satan after he is cast to the earth with a third of his angels. That's not a place I really want to be, <laughs> right? Okay, keep reading with me. Look down, uh, ch- skip a chapter, Revelation 13, 1 and 2. Revelation 13, 1 and 2, same picture. The dragon, Satan, stood on the shore of the sea. See, this is where the nations rise, right? They come out of the sea. So he stood on the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had how many? Ten horns, seven heads. With ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled what? A leopard. And it had feet like a bear, and mouth like a lion. And the dragon, which is Satan, gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. So don't miss what's happening. John is seeing the same image that Daniel saw, except he's seeing it from the other side. Looking back. So he goes in the other direction when he names the the images, right? So what is it saying? The final world empire will be a resurrection and composite of all the beasts together. 
all the beasts together. Whether you might say the, the, the wealth of Babylon or the, the pagan religion of Babylon that, we, that we've inherited today. Or whether we're talking about um, the, uh, the, the, the political ways of, of doing politics that we inherited from the Persians or uh, uh, the philosophy, the, the, the Western Greek philosophy that we've inherited from the Greeks or the might of military prowess that we've inherited from the Romans. It all comes together in this final world empire. Okay. Well, I don't want to stop, but we'll have to stop there. So um, I'm going to get back. I've got a couple more things I want to read out of Revelation next week. Um, read Re- Daniel chapter 7 again and study this out for yourselves because I realize people have all kinds of views when it comes to eschatology and last day things. Okay? This is not one of those things to split over. You can have a different view than me, and we can still be okay with each other. Okay, Study to show yourself approved. Amen? Amen. All right. God bless you. See you at worship in just a moment.